John, are you doing dry January? Hell no. That seems entirely inappropriate given that I've got a conference to go to next week. Because it's mandatory to drink at a conference, is that what you're saying, John? No, yes. these days it's not. <laughs> I read a really good post about someone saying that Gen Z are going to conferences and opting for alternatives to drinking. Drugs. <laughs> They've got harder. That's what it is. <laughs> so, okay, you're not doing dry January. Are you doing no. early January then? <laughs> Given what we recorded last time, absolutely not. He's been drinking excessive amounts of milk. I'm bathing in it and then drinking <laughs> Oh, not after you've bathed in it. Uh, how about you, Ryan? Are you doing veganuary, dry January? I'm virtually the opposite. Over Christmas, all I did was eat meat. I was mm. getting meat sweats from how much meat I'd eaten. Maybe veganuary is in order then. It probably is. I'm not sure I know enough things that are vegan. Plants. Any type of I'll just food eat a tree. Like vegetables. No, just <laughs> any vegetable. <laughs> just nibble on some bark. Oh, shut up, John. Oh, <laughs> grow up, John. <laughs> bit, of, bit of moss. You're like an overwintering deer. So what are you doing then, Indy, for, uh, for January? Is that what you're doing? Oh. There's a lot of effort guided to that one, then. <laughs> I'm disappointed you're not taking part in January. I think that's right up the street. It's up at something. That's right, I am doing that. Getting a general airing. Right, okay, guys, explain what January is to me. Um, Like a female version of Movember. Yes. That's right. Do you, does it have to look in the same shape as well? There's any rules, Ryan. <laughs> Wax corners. Waxed out of the corners. <laughs> Waxed out the corners, yeah. Uh, you don't have that in November. You don't always have to have a curly tash or anything. Some people just go rogue, don't they, and just grow whatever. <laughs> so some of us just are challenged by the whole concept of growing facial hair in the first instance. Yeah, well, if you ate your vegetables a bit more, you'd be fine. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that there's a direct correlation between eating vegetables and growing facial hair? Any hair, yeah. Any well, hair. In that instance, January is going to be exceptional for you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Next recording, we won't be able to see in these face. The veganuary Lovely. leads to fanuary. There's is, is direct, direct link. We're tucking it in. <laughs> I mean, it's only one month, guys. Let's not get carried away. Mm. That's true. Mm-hmm. You can join in if you want. In solidarity. Happy to. If someone wants to sponsor me, I could grow some sort of app-based logo. Wow. Would you shave it in to the hairs? <laughs> oh, well, that's the only way, isn't it? Please, someone sponsor John. <laughs> Have a lo- logo emblazoned in his nether regions, please. Not, <laughs> not a too tricky one, though. A sage one would probably be all right, wouldn't it? How are you going to do the letters? They're just curvy letters, aren't they? It's a really beautiful logo, that one. You can even go the whole hug and diet green. Why would you do that? For the right amount of money, I'm sure he would. Hello, welcome to 2023, new episode of the pod. And I'm joined as always by my amazing team. So say hello to Ryan. Ryan, how's it going? Not bad, mate. It's good to be back with you in Indy for another full session of the Digitals and the Cruel World podcast. I'm excited. Yeah, we're excited about the new pod and some new experiences. Looking forward to some great guests in the future. So stay tuned. And Indy, how is it going? It is going good, as always. Good, good. And you're in the country for a change as well, which is surprising. So no winter sun in Spain for you at the moment? Next week. And I went just before Christmas, so... I'm quite happy to have a few weeks off, but I go next week to Spain and then you're off uh, on your jollies soon anyway. On that, John, is there any snow left for you to do a ski trip? 
I am not entirely sure about it. Hopefully there is some snow falling this weekend and in the few days before we go out there as well. If not, I probably will have to spend an inordinate amount of time either mountain biking instead or just sitting in the hot tub, hot tub or in the sauna or in the bar. Seems reasonable, doesn't it? And, well, and anyway, after the revelations about Ryan and his peanut butter fetish, I mean... Oh uh, yeah, and on that note, I think we should kick off that news. All right, just before Christmas, we saw the first casualty of MTD ITSA being delayed in tax sheets, which was a ready-to-use spreadsheet for the self-employed. And it was focusing predominantly on the MTD ITSA agenda, but has closed its doors. So do you guys use or have used come across tax sheets at all? No. It was quite a simple and straightforward attempt to solve the MTD ITSA problem for very low end so probably the 10,000 to 30,000 pound income range and now that that's not going to be needed because they've raised the thresholds they don't have the market and therefore have just pulled the product well yeah the descoping that hrc did has taken the market down from 4 million to less than 2 million a lot of people will be affected by that and although this might be the first one it won't be the last one yeah, I would completely agree with that. And I think the most startling thing from this news story was the fact that the developers found out via email from HMRC at 4.30 on the Monday after the ministerial statement had been announced. So there was no real forewarning in the market. Well, well, I think that's a bit unfair, John. If they followed you on LinkedIn, they would have known at least a few days before. <laughs> but either way... It goes back to what we said. You can't build your business model around just this one piece of compliance and then expect that to be a long-term business model. The risk is with these kind of products is if you're not a bespoke piece of software, and this was a spreadsheet-based piece of software, which was essentially, I guess, creating like a cash book for sole traders partnerships to use with the bridging type element built into it. So that's where the real technological part of that product is. Every man and his dog, whether that's an accountant, a business owner, whatever, can create a spreadsheet to record their business income and expenditure. And so your only technical advantage is that API connection in the back end. All of a sudden, it, that's no longer required. Well, you can see why products like this will fall quite quickly. I am intrigued about those products that have a very good system, lots of hammock, coconut, etc., whether their valuation has taken a hit and others might come in to buy them at a lower value, knowing that they've got a really good product. So we may see a bit of acquisition in the market purely because of the delay from HMRC. Yeah, it is a possibility, but if those products can maintain run rate in terms of sales, then they should be able to survive, shouldn't they? It may be that they'll have to reduce their development or investments in, in that side of things for the next 12 months or so just to give themselves some breathing room. But there's always an opportunity, isn't there, that someone comes in and buys them. And Hammock specifically, they've got quite a tight relationship with Sage and Sage have been very acquisitive over the last few years. So maybe that is an opportunity that could come down the track. If it does happen, you heard it here first. <laughs> Our first prediction of 2023. <laughs> <laughs> like Mystic Meg. Yeah. Well, talking of Sage, has anyone got anything on Sage? 
I picked up something that was in the FT originally and that has been reported elsewhere, basically saying that Sage were being criticised predominantly by their customers around this transition to some of their SaaS products. So this all relates to the story that was reported a lot last year in terms of people who were using older versions of Sage 50 who could no longer log in after the withdrawal of the old version licences, which effectively used a piece of software that Microsoft were getting rid of. We spoke about this at length, haven't we, in terms of like that was always going to cause a problem, particularly for businesses who had bought licenses with a view that these would run for 10, 15 years, et cetera. And then we're being asked to switch. And we knew that Sage sales team were hitting the phones pretty hard to shift people. And lo and behold, now the FT and a few others have uncovered a few disgruntled customers who were forced to move from a product uh, onto a subscription-based model. And uh, there's reports of things like bottles of wine and other incentives being sent to sweeten the deal. But being accused of strong-arm tactics, I mean, that's Sage sales in a nutshell, isn't it? This isn't really anything new because we knew about this back in the summer. It's just that it seems it's taken the press a, a few months to catch up with the story. I think it's a bit harsh, only because if you look at what QuickBooks have done, they've forced their customers to move because they're shutting down the desktop product. So I don't get why Sage are getting this press and QuickBooks or Intuit aren't. And I'd be very surprised if they were forced onto a subscription model. They probably chose that over upgrading to, because they've still got the desktop product, Sage. So I assume they were on an older one, had to do something instead of going to possibly a more expensive desktop solution they went to the online one a bit harsh i think agreed well more on the positive side for sage they have launched sage earth so their acquisition of spherix last year and they're hoping to automate and streamline the way small businesses calculate their environmental impact through the new carbon accounting they have within the platform. I don't know is something that most of the small businesses are really taking seriously at the moment because they don't really have any mandatory requirement to do so, but say just forecasting this to be a big part of how small businesses need to look at their supply chains going forward and the fact that they've rolled it out and is available in their business cloud, zero QuickBooks Online, and as part of the Sage for Accountants package. And it will also work with other products like the Futurely and Go proposals. And the plan is to roll it out for the larger businesses too. It's a really great step in the right direction or could just be something that is a bit of a marketing play, but at least it's a start. Do you guys know much about it? I do not use it, but great name. They've got the branding spot on with that. Very simple. Sage but Earth. Yeah, Sage really effective. Earth. Yeah. But if we look at what small businesses are doing at the moment, they are interested in the carbon space. You've got a lot of interest in ecology and B Corp, etc. But there's not enough standardization about how you record or measure this. It can be done, it's very subjective and done in very different ways. And there's a lot of platforms that can do it. And those platforms all do it in a different way. So Sage have gone down one path, they're ahead of it, and that will really help them once there's some traction here. But I don't think there's going to be a huge movement of businesses to Sage because they've got Sage Earth. I just don't see it. I've used Spherix, the old product, before it got rebranded. And it's an interesting product. As you say, ESG is a topic of interest for lots of businesses at the moment, but only really mandated for the largest of businesses. My experience with 
of using Spherix was that the output from it is quite generic. It's a little bit like if anyone's done like sort of house renovations and gone through a process of trying to figure out should you invest in um, triple glazing or a air source heat pump instead of your boiler all of the assumptions that are made are quite generic because it basically assumes lots of businesses are quite the same there are some specific bits within the app that will ask you about approximating your co2 output from things like energy costs and things but there is quite a lot of very generic stuff in there it's a starting point it's got a neat way of presenting that information for businesses to try and make some positive change but if you're really into esg and it's really important to you as a business i don't think this is specific enough as a product for the masses are they all estimates john it arrives at a calculation by way of estimates. Yeah, there appears to be a lot of estimation in there, which of course means that as a proper like nerdy accountant who likes specificity, right? I don't like generic statements that say I use approximately X amount of carbon doing this. And then actually the reality is it might be 10% higher or lower, and that could have a significant impact in potential investments that you might make. Particularly, we're in this world at the moment for businesses in particular, aren't we, where we've got the super deduction for capital allowances, you've got enhanced allowances for, for buying and implementing the use of energy-saving technologies, whether that's lighting, heating, etc. So there's lots of incentives for businesses reducing their energy costs and reducing their carbon footprint. And those kind of things should go hand in hand with something like Sage Earth to present the potential opportunity to businesses. Does it not do that where it positions the R&D or the allowance or the incentive next to something that could be within the supply chain? Not not really, not really. And again, it doesn't go deep into the supply chain either because for a lot of businesses interested in ESG, what you're interested in is not just what you're doing as a business, but also what your suppliers are doing, whether they're managing their ESG requirements effectively. And so it misses that part of that step. Well, it's a cool name. That's what we can say, right, Ryan? Yep, they've got the branding. They've got the branding correct. Well done, Sage. Um, my next news article is nowhere near as interesting as that. I feel like I need to talk like this when I when I do it. But <laughs> Microsoft have announced an early Valentine's Day gift, which is on February the 14th. They are completely disabling Internet Explorer 11. If anyone's still using Internet Explorer 11, then you need to do something about that. Most people have already moved to Microsoft Edge. But the reason I'm mentioning it is that a number of programs and QuickBooks Desktop specifically utilizes the Internet Explorer system and some functionality within QuickBooks Desktop is expected to not work once this gets disabled. Now, there's not been an announcement or what Intuit are doing about it, but considering this product, QuickBooks Desktop, is still heavily used over in the US, patch is expected to be released. I would expect that to work on the UK product, but considering the UK product is going to be shelved in July 2023, they've got less incentive if there's something else they need to do for it. So if there are any businesses or accountants listening to this and they have clients that use QuickBooks Desktop, I would flag to them they need to be aware there's maybe an issue at February 14th regarding some of their functionality. This is a really positive step and possibly an opportunity for people like yourself and myself, Ryan, as well, in terms of Internet Explorer is baked into quite a few legacy products and fundamentally products that people shouldn't be using anymore to run their business on. So if they suddenly lose an additional layer of functionality as a consequence of this being taken off the market, then that's great. And, and for anyone that has made the leap to Microsoft Edge, that is a serious competitor to Chrome because that's probably, or Firefox, which are probably like the two of the main 
browsers that people will be using. And particularly if you're in a larger practice and using other Microsoft products, like the integrations with Edge and within the wider suite of products is incredible. And, and the levels of automation and integration that you can get out of that are quite staggering. So there's lots of opportunity and lots of incentives for people to make use of Edge, particularly if you've maybe been a Chrome user and not quite shifted back to using a Microsoft product because you've had poor experience with Internet Explorer. I don't even remember the last time I used Internet Explorer, guys. Is that really bad? I didn't even know that no, Internet no. Explorer had a number next to it. What? Internet Explorer 11. What, what is that? I mean, you're not that old, are you? <laughs> they have Internet Explorer had... 13, 12. They, Did they, they have that? No, because it went to Edge. But there would have been Internet Explorer oh. 10, 9, 8. It doesn't start at the high number and goes down. It normally goes to the low number and goes up. <laughs> Well, I can understand that. I just don't remember. If they're terminating 11, that's it. Internet Explorer's dead. Then that's the last one. (laughs) Anyway, KPM has partnered with Unipass for embedded payments into their platform. So it's something Unipass are doing it with quite a few players in this space. They have already started working with Iris to offer Iris Pay, if I'm not mistaken. And they've also worked with nomisma and now they are rolling out with kpm as well so they seem to be getting their tentacles into a few different software providers to offer embedded payments within the software platform it's taking away some of the business from other payment options that are out there by embedding directly into the accounting software and that accounting software being used directly by the businesses in this case for instance, with KPM, the business user will then be able to have access to embedded payments for their own customers as well. Is that a direct competitor to Arix? Mm, who? Unipass? Yeah. No, we don't deal with the payment processing. So we offer credit and we offer okay. the ability to advance the cash. So if it's an invoice that you can get the money from it immediately, this is something that speeds up the payment processing of things and embeds in we're more like we would embed into things like neobanks or um those prepaid debit card providers who suddenly want to try and provide a credit card that sort of thing they're more like stripe or yeah go cardless or go cardless I th- yeah i think i read the article wrong when i'd first come across this because i looked at it more like a financing thing rather than just an, an no it's the tech it's the tech rails for sure i think there's a lot of other players that are trying to do that underlying infrastructure and link it to payments and financing where they go with it questionable obviously they have to integrate into enough software providers and then get the adoption from the end user by way of that software provider so that revenue model is slightly different it's plugging in and hoping for the adoption but it's clever from their point of view, isn't it? Because it does mean that both the products like Iris and KPM and others are not having to go to a Stripe and a GoCardless and maybe two or three other platforms in the market and build their own integrations. Unipass are coming along and saying, look, we can offer all of these products under one roof and you can sell it to your clients, white labels. And there's an incentive for just to use these things themselves to collect money off their customers and promote it within the various products that may be in those suites as well. Boom. 
Anyway, talking about payments, we caught a little update from GoCardless, which is a new product that they've just launched called Verified Mandate. And none too surprisingly, this is built on my favorite topic of choice, open banking. So what this does now is it's enhancing their digital mandating process. So with GoCardless and with a few other direct debit providers, you would go in, you would fill out your bank details, those then get submitted and the usual direct debit process occurs. With verified mandates, what will happen is as you get your customers to fill out the mandate, it will use the open banking checking that we may or may not be familiar with in, say, like our banking apps now, to actually take them to their bank to verify that customer exists and that bank account exists at that point in time. And both the customer and the business that is wanting the mandate for them to take payment will get a notification to say that that's been approved. So what that means is that it means that for any business wanting to collect money on direct debit is that that customer is immediately verified at the point in time that mandate sign so an interesting like fraud prevention tool and just another all implementation of the technology that's available in open banking within the payment space so fascinating thing i must admit from the press release it's not massively clear if all go cardless customers will switch automatically to verified mandates or whether you need to do something within the product but if you jump on their website you'll probably be able to find out how that switch works because this implementation will be a relatively low cost implementation i guess yeah i think it's a nice little fix there is a lot of polls not you know the people from poland but um, (laughs) questions on linkedin at the start of january that seems to have gone crazy so we could always comment on that yeah i did see quite a few polls as well there's an accounting forum where phil hobden has asked a few questions about how people define churn in terms of like customer drop-off not in terms of making butter. No. Veganuary, Jan. It's veganuary. Please, could you just respect the fact that we are taking part We're not allowed that. to talk about it anymore. But surely there's a vegan equivalent of a butter-like butter. bread. There is, that yeah. has to be churned. It's probably like manufactured um, from like oil, like probably, you know, probably yes. like significant investment. <laughs> Yeah, you're probably right on that. It's not exactly great for you, but yeah, there is. It's not like nut butter. (laughs) Nut butter is the best. I know you're trying to catch me in some sort of dirty euphemism. No, no, because I'm, you know, like nut Nut milk. Nut butter is tasty. You've got like (laughs) almond milk, haven't you? (laughs) So I was just assuming that there'd be some sort of nut related butter spread there is peanut butter it's been around <laughs> oh, decades yeah. of course it's what it does with it that counts well i feel <laughs> we're gonna make some sort of dog comment but <laughs> that's worse i'm not gonna go down that road why do they like peanut butter do dogs like <laughs> peanut butter there is <laughs> i'm not even going down that road so going back to polls Come on, Evan, um, you've got to expand on the whole <laughs> peanut butter and what you do with it to entice a pet dog to do whatever <gasps> you do. I would, but I don't trust Indy to ever edit something out. <laughs> I would, yeah. I have, no. Um. <laughs> I've got all sorts of images running through my mind now. Is this a thing? Uh, Don, I don't think it's an actual thing. I'm getting some education here. I think it's a, a joke. I can't even think where that would have, where that would have come from. No smoke without fire. Personal experience, right? Personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> I was the first to ever do it. <laughs> I'd just like to caveat, I'm allergic to peanuts and peanut butter, so whatever Ryan's trying to insinuate here would never happen. <laughs>
I wasn't really going to get you to do it, And you don't have a dog. <laughs> I don't have a dog, because I'm allergic to dogs too. So the, the likelihood of there being allergy-related swelling in my special place is not going right. to happen. Can we just pause for a second here? So how in a year and a half's worth of recording have I only just learned that you are allergic to both peanut butter and dogs? Because we've never had a conversation about why you we smear have. peanut butter on your technical <laughs> so that your pet dog can lick it off, right? And that's right. <laughs> I, I never said that, John. You're putting words in my mouth. That one might actually make the edit, guys. No! To inform you. <laughs> I, have to ha- I have to keep some sort of... Rep- I've got no reputation, let's be honest. <laughs> when I go to your house, at some point this may happen, don't you offer me peanut butter on toast, because I'll literally just cry if I open up that jar and find anything other than peanut butter in no, there. Like, don't, don't do, you know, do you not think Brian's like Ted Lasso? It leaves the peanut butter out on the side so we can dip anything in it. <laughs> what I was going to do is just, in, in whatever room you'd be in, I'd just throw the peanut butter and the dog in and shut it and see what happens. <laughs> what, does it work for ladies as well? What? The whole thing is they just eat the peanut butter. Don't think it's related to it's men or women. <laughs> in fact, you could argue it worked better on ladies. No, I can't get behind the idea of something with teeth that doesn't know how to control them. Just scared me. I thought that some of your exes were like that, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, he likes 80-year-old men. So I've got a couple of little things from QuickBooks Online. So going back maybe start of December, they announced the release of Tax Pro in the UK, or at least demoed it, which was their product for annual accounts and CT600. This is launching next, well, I say this year, not next year, but they did do some demonstrations of what that would look like. It looks quite interesting. And considering that QuickBooks Connect is coming up very soon in March, I expect that to be fully by then for a big announcement. They've also been working on their bank feeds and have demonstrated that the AI has improved on their bank feeds by 30%. What that actually means, I do not know. I don't know how they've measured that it's more accurate by 30% or does more prompts by 30%. But when we've compared this on pods in the past, the zero bank feeds is still ahead of the QuickBooks ones in the quality of the prompts have been pushed forward. I think this is QuickBooks attempt to try and close that gap, especially as I know zero works on this over the summer of 2022. Anyone that's heavily using QuickBooks Online will probably notice this. Jonathan Gaunt and the other Xavier guys have officially announced their separation from Dext. What, a new product? It's going to be leaving Dext and then probably, I guess, working on some some projects. By officially? Is this officially like you found out about the HMRC thing? Or is it officially like it's out there in the... He posted it on LinkedIn three years ago, but I didn't know before Christmas. Oh, okay. That's the core team that started Xavier, and they're basically just leaving to maybe go and do their own thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Get your checkbooks out, guys. Well, because what has Dex done with Xavier since they bought it? Virtually nothing. The product has not been developed, as far as I could tell. They started developing a practice management mission into it, and they pulled back on that. When it was first acquired, they put a lot of time and effort into building the QuickBooks integration and are distracted from the main focus of building out other things within the pre-existing product that were relevant to Zero. So if you're a Zero user and you're quite a long-time user at Xavier, probably not seen as much development as you'd like, whereas for a QuickBooks user, you've suddenly got this feast of new features that were never there beforehand. And moving on then, Silverpin, a product that we talked about quite a lot, and we had Lisa Miles Heal when she was 
filling a previous role before she joined Silverfin as CEO a while back on the pod. They did a little piece to talk about what they're trying to do with the product. And for anyone that's familiar with Silverfin or has had some experience with Silverfin, probably struggle to understand exactly what the product does and what it's trying to deliver. And so gone back to basics and said what Silverfin as a platform is trying to do is it's trying to concentrate on delivering a standardized working papers solution that then gives you opportunities within the product for improving either practice efficiency or spotting opportunities for growth and maybe advisory work with clients. I think they very much realize that what they need to do is focusing on compliance because that's the bedrock of what most accountancy practices are doing and also focusing on what their target market is which is like the mid to large size firms. Yeah I think we'll see a resurgence of Silverfin over the next year or so. Uh, They definitely seem to have got the message more accurate to what they're, they're delivering. I know we've talked about it quite a bit with the data MTD for, for ITSA, but this has been highlighting a backward step from the UK government in that digitization of the economy. If you compare that to what's actually going on in the wider world, you've got over 70 countries now that got an e-invoicing plan. And although we have e-invoicing in the UK for the NHS or government-backed organisations, we are still not seeing any plan from the UK regarding how they're going to roll this out. And Europe is really pushing ahead on this. They've got big plans in Germany and in France. This government's going to do anything progressive. It will be to get those larger businesses, the ones that aren't going to struggle with the compliance side because they already have systems, to push forward with e-invoicing because it's going to massively streamline the whole of that digitization regarding paperwork and communication between different businesses. And with it, overnight, improve efficiency, automation and productivity in the UK. So it's something that we're seeing talked about a lot, not in the UK, unfortunately, mostly in the EU and South America and over in Australia, Asia as well. But there needs to be some big talk about that in the UK. I completely agree. I mean, I saw e-invoicing in Sage 50 about 15 years ago because that was like bespoke to the particular sector that particular client worked in. And the irony is what we're talking about when we talk about e-invoicing uses a um, you know a technology standard PEPL, which is an EU standard that was built and designed more than 20 years ago. So we're not talking about something that's brand new in terms of a tech standard, something that can or could not be implemented relatively easily on not just cloud-based platforms, but on-prem-based platforms. It's really a matter of encouraging businesses or encouraging the government to get on board with it. And you're absolutely right, the UK is going to be left behind on this. And we're going to see e-invoicing sort of leach into the UK by default because other businesses in the UK will start to be trading more and more regularly with EU countries, for example. But you know, we know that we've got problems around payments of invoices and things like that as well in the UK, particularly for small businesses. So e-invoicing potentially has the ability to lend itself to easing that problem as well. So there's lots of things you could see that as a solution. And terrible for the likes of auto entry and Dext and Data Molino and all those other OCR solutions, maybe, because if you have intra-business e-invoicing, does that just reduce reduce their market share just down to say like personal expense management or employee expense management because you're not going to have to scan invoices anymore unless you trade with the states of course because they won't do invoicing until about 23 20 or something will they you're exactly right john that businesses over here will end up having to do it to work with the eu okay this is becoming a swear word now no it's not a swear word it's definitely the most overused brand that I've heard in recent weeks, ChatGPT. Come on, what is it? What are they doing now? ChatGPT. So OpenAI, 
who is the creator behind ChatGPT, has put out a new tender offer, which would see them valued at $29 billion. There's a couple of firms that have entered into the tender, which would more than double the valuation they had at $14 billion that was set during their recent tender offer in 2021. And so there's some big aims there in terms of Microsoft and what they're trying to do with the product. I I said it on LinkedIn the other day. I think Bing is well overdue an upgrade. When you talk about Internet Explorer, one, two, three, four, four, whatever. Bing. Bing, yeah, Microsoft product. Come on, this is ChatGPT is an artificial general intelligence. And so it's designed to have the capacity to learn as a human does and incorporate new knowledge into its understanding of the world. So it's basically a more intuitive intelligent search engine. Are you going to now start talking about Ask Jeeves as well? <laughs> well, that's before my time, to be honest. <laughs> What was that? I'm being honest, I didn't know Bing was still being used. I think the last time I used it, the stuff that came back was awful. It's probably got like 1% market share or something, hasn't it? Yeah, it must be tiny. True. Maybe it's got that now, but it received the majority of its 1 billion in funding from Microsoft. Ah, so what you're saying is it's going to be the future Bing. There we go. Yeah, so if it's a Microsoft product, it's probably going to go back into Bing. That's that. And then we saw before Christmas, Intuit had agreed to buy SeedFi, which was the financial health startup behind Credit Karma's credit builder feature. The terms of the deal weren't disclosed, but SeedFi was one of those fintechs that had done the same thing where they racked up the debt and stuck in that cycle of debt with no savings. SeedFi's credit builder product has been invaluable in helping members increase their score, their credit score, and build up over $10 million in savings. So that one's quite a nifty little acquisition on Intuit's part. It makes sense because Intuit own Credit Karma. If they're obviously Credit Karma's heavily using C5, then it makes sense to purchase it. Well, little nugget of information. So it's come to my attention that there's also a similar approach being taken by some of the credit products here in the UK that I'm looking to integrate with more of the accounting software specifically by getting access to the payroll data as well so they can feed it back into their own credit builders and that data is being leveraged so that when you're taking a loan that you don't take the loan in isolation as a business but instead you're able to see the owners behind that business and see how credit worthy they are as opposed to just the business impacts the credit score and i believe that capitalize are doing something quite clever on that too mm. it's fascinating isn't it and this is the next iteration of open banking this is this transition to open finance where we're talking about drawing together multiple data sources for from both business and consumers into your wider financial life so that you can have more bespoke products built for you whether that's finance or insurance or whatever it may be so huge opportunities for main players in the market, whether that's the banks, financiers, the insurance companies, but also huge opportunities for consumers and businesses to get something that's much more bespoke, so hopefully should be much more valuable as well. And then a final raise, just pre-Christmas, it was announced that Alica Bank had raised 100 million in Series C, which was led by TVC. That is a 
a fund that has backed a lot of tech companies. And I mentioned before Christmas, they have built some interesting products that will dramatically shorten the lead time for commercial property mortgages. I believe they're doing some market testing at the moment. So it's good to see that that raise will bolster and strengthen their approach. I had something on, on ChatGPT only because I saw this earlier on. So Stuart Cobb, who used to work at Mindbridge, has tested the GPT-3 models, so the latest like AI model that ChatGPT offers. And he tested it on an, an ICAW assurance paper and it got a 42% score on the paper, which and 55% is what's required. So it failed the paper, but uh, we've obviously got GPT-4 being launched in the next month, possibly two months. And the number of data points and data sets that has access to goes from something crazy like 175 billion to 170 trillion data points. So that is like absolutely staggering. And so an expectation that it could potentially pass those papers in the future. So as accountants, yes, we are all doomed. And that's why as a firm, we're looking to use the chat GPT to replace all our partners in the not too distant future. Keep that one in. <laughs> and now we've got a new little feature where we delve into a few nuggets of information and takeaways that you can use to help. Bits. Yeah, tidbits to help push your firm or business forward. Now, we've been talking a lot about ChatGPT. Could not shut up about it over the last couple of episodes. But I'm interested to see how are people using it. I've used it recently. I was actually doing a predictions article, as I do, being in tech, predicting the tech for 2023, and asked ChatGPT, what are your predictions for technological or digital change over the next year? And it brought some incredible predictions forward. Unfortunately... They're all probably about two years old, which I then found out that's because it's loaded with information that's about two years old. But put it into context, otherwise brilliant. But anything that's really, I guess, has to be up to date does not work. Yeah, I used it recently to feed some conversations as opposed to being specifically just about creating content and sharing it. Sometimes you are in conversations with people and you don't always have the right questions to hand and you want to prepare yourself and think okay well I've got this call in about 10 minutes and I want to make sure that I'm talking the right language with the right person so I created a request that said okay you're a talented analyst top tier management consulting firm graduate of Harvard Business School can you coach me to connect with the CFO of a particular business in a particular industry what open-ended questions do I ask and can you prioritize anything that's uncommon and expert advice it was one of the things that I had read on LinkedIn and I thought I'd give it a test out and it did give me a handful of questions that were really helpful insightful things around pricing strategies or things that are around the revenue model and the ROI again this is just pre-meeting prep for me and then another use case I have found it helpful for is where I've wanted to research some of the top players in any given industry the top say for example in Europe or in globally or in the UK and I've then asked it directly list me those vendors the top 10 within and then been hyper specific and in this case it didn't produce one of the vendors that I wanted as the top 10 so I realized that they are going to get as something different so then I asked them okay what do you classify this 
vendor as like which industry it then told me what it was and then I copied and pasted that and said list me the vendors that are in that market top players and their urls and any phone numbers and any people and it listed it in a very random sequence and then I said can you add this to a table can you create a table out of this and I thought that was quite cool because it was market research for me did it create the table really effectively it did create the table correct that's literally not going to be needed anymore it sounds like it would just do everything i have to do <laughs> i also asked it a question and i asked it to imagine it was an accountant as well <laughs> well i know my plan was it an to... accountant called ryan and was the question <laughs> what should i do with this sort of peanut butter i've been given for christmas oh you you scab <laughs> admittedly our next time i'm going to do is combine it with a text-to-voice algorithm and just see if we can replace john on the pod just get it to create some random waffle about tech and, and then just insert it. If John can't come on, just insert it around us. Well, that must be achievable. I mean, like, can you just <laughs> teach it just to waffle inanely without coming to a point or really actually understanding what it's meant to be doing? Simple. Related to this, I don't know whether you caught Jordan Vickery's post or comment on my recent post, and he had described a use case he had created content within three minutes flat by connecting chat gpt through zapier to asana and then he put in one question and it created like a structure from that and then he reviewed that structure and put it into the next column so that it was ready to be picked up by chat gpt and then it produced a whole blog post for him in three minutes it's incredible, isn't it? I've been playing around with chat GPT as well, and, you know, in a similar way to Ryan in terms of trying to get it to write some content and come up with ideas for things that would be worth posting out. But also another area that I've I've started experimenting with, and I know a few other accountants doing the same, is around helping it to write uh, things like scripts and a little bit of code for doing things. We know low-code, no-code solutions are really valuable in our space, but also that there is a need for developers some support in that area, but trying to get hold of a developer that's affordable and within the price range of most practices is quite challenging. And so maybe this is a solution. I'm sure there'll be plenty of developers out there who will say what it will come up with is probably not very good or probably not the best way of coding things, but it's certainly proven to be a better solution for me rather than just getting onto Google and saying, how do I write this piece of code to extract something from this particular place? And it will actually do it all for you. And it's pretty slick. The capabilities are much more broad than that because you can also get it to not just write a script to collate data from somewhere else, but then to tabulate it and to put it into other products as well because of the API. So huge opportunities. Yeah, I'd say the number one takeaway I would give is for those that are intimidated by writing posts, by writing articles or blogs, it will be a great way to start. You just put a couple of thoughts in, it will create some content for you. You can then put your own spin on it and put it out there. And it probably removes some of the worry of what you would do and how you would talk because it creates an original draft that you can then tinker to make it yours. And that's no different to the way that people in practice work, right? Quite often when we're writing advice to a client, for example, you maybe have a senior member of staff or someone who might do the first draft and then a partner would sort of pour over it and maybe amend or, or tweak some of the bits and pieces. That's absolutely the same as using ChatGPT as a starting point for that content. And then you just change it to mirror your voice and your opinions and everything else. 
you can actually be quite prescriptive in the briefing to say what tone of voice you're looking for. It's all about first bits of text that you can write. So imagine or you are a social media influencer who is also an accountant and you can then say what the style or tone of voice is. It's concise, it's brief, it's fairly sharp, it's slightly moody, arrogant, I don't know, whatever you want to do. And it will come back in that tone because what I do like about it is I've then been able to ask it some questions if I'm trying to imagine from the business owner's perspective or sea level in a particular company. And I've listed a topic, said what the topic is, and then said, can you give me the sorts of responses that you would receive from a business owner, SME, who has owned a construction company as to the value and benefits of why they wouldn't use a credit control solution. So then it gives you something that you can then practice with, or you can take away and use that as inspiration to go into your post to say, okay, well, this is what like a typical Mr. Business, Miss Business owner would say, and here are the rebuttals to that. So it's about being really creative with it rather than just copying and pasting and putting it in. That's good. So John, I've got a question for you. Have you noticed the huge increase in polls on LinkedIn over the last week or so. It's gone crazy. It's like a New Year's resolution that everyone's going to write a poll. I have, Ryan, yeah. Polls are clearly people's New Year's resolutions. And ironically, quite a lot of the polls I've seen about what are your New Year's resolutions. Yeah, Yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? And there's a, a trend that seems to be, we don't make New Year's resolutions this year. It's about what mindset we're going to have which is just, in my opinion, another word for a, a New Year's resolution, but maybe I'm cynical. But no, it's, it's something that it can be quite helpful. It can be helpful engagement. Maybe this is something we should be doing, John. Maybe we should be doing polls all the time. I think a daily poll from the podcast is like a requirement, although we'd have to be very Daily? Yeah. <laughs> which presenter do you prefer, for example? Or uh, <laughs> Who's got the best banter? <laughs> is the content any good, yes or no? <laughs> Which presenter should we cut? I think that's the first <laughs> one we should, we should go with. But we love our listeners and the feedback we get. And what we should try and do in this show going forward is answer listeners' questions. If you've got something pressing you want to know about in tech, what's the best product? What's a good solution to an industry problem? Reach out. We'll cover it in the pod and we'll shout you out and hopefully answer the question you want. And we should definitely do more polls and ask you, ask the audience, what do you think? Should we get rid of John? There'd be so much quicker doing the recordings, wouldn't it, if that happened? <laughs> yeah, there'd be a lot less waffle. Please, no one vote to get rid of Indy. She's literally needed. Us two are just superfluous, but we need Indy. <laughs> yeah, easily replicable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's many bald, middle-aged white men in the county that I'm sure we can find another one to replace me. Yeah, or we could swap us out for Dale Rodriguez because he's really interesting and actually has something quite insightful to say. Yes, that's it, Dale. If you're listening to the pod, we want a question, mate reach out to us what do you want us to talk about we'll answer it on one of the upcoming pods so i'm delighted to be joined by cam ford from Silverfin, newly appointed gm here in the uk formerly of unleashed lmh one of our former on the pod is getting the band back together by the sounds of it but uh, what i'll do is i'll allow cam to introduce himself properly provide a bit of background and then we'll launch into what we want to discuss over to you cam yeah 
Sure. Thanks. Yes. Sounds good. Band back together a little bit and a little bit more to come in that space as well in the future. So watch out for that one. But just to introduce myself, I'm Cam and I've joined a couple of months ago to Silverfin as the GM for UK and growth markets. As you mentioned, I was at Unleashed prior to that as part of the Access Group and was the CFO at Unleashed for three and a half, nearly four years. Um, and that was based out of New Zealand. So serving the UK market a lot, but I have made the move up as well as part of this. Prior to that, I had a number of other finance positions in commercial organizations and originally started my career with PwC in Auckland um, on the audit side in professional service. So I'm an accountant from way back and have had a lot of more finance roles and then and then CFO moving into more general exec positions to where I am at Silverfin. So yeah, that's me. Awesome. Well, it's good to see there's another reformed auditor on the pod for once. Maybe describe a little bit about what your new role is at Silverfin, because obviously you've got sort of a CFO type background and this is a little bit different. So what's the new role entail for, for you? Yeah, that's right. The biggest part of my role is a big focus on go-to-market. So I'm responsible for delivery of Silverfin and the growth of the UK and some other regions as well. Uh, very focused on sales and marketing, go-to-market approaches and that element, making sure that product that we've got and what we're delivering to the UK is hitting the mark and becoming successful. And Silverfin as an organization is a bit broader than just the UK, but the UK is a really big focus for us in terms of the growth in the future. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a big market with, um, you know, with a lot of real, really great potential in terms of being able to, to help and add value to the um, to the accounting practices that uh, that service it. So, yeah. Cool. And it's probably fair to say that Silverfin has had a few uh, trials and tribulations here in the UK market. And that's something that the guys on the pod picked up. I wonder if you could expand on, on that, what the focus is for, for Silverfin over the next 12 months or so. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, we, um, yeah, Silverfin's definitely got some some history with the UK and, and we've got a number of really great customers in the market and things, but we, um, you know, we have had, it's not all been smooth sailing and, we, and we've had to grow up in this market a little bit too. Um, so, that, you know, it's probably what you're what you're referring to, right? But I feel like, um, you know, these days and, and the position I'm joining in, uh, we're, we've moved on quite a bit and, and have become quite a bit more of a mature company, both in the UK and globally. Uh, and really what we what we have now from a product perspective for the UK is uh you know is really awesome and you know obvious obvious bias there but um you know the, the feedback I'm getting from um initial uh, chats with customers and um, and prospects and others um internal external and and also um industry industry folks that are viewing from the outside is the product is really really sound um we're able to do some really good things in the digital work paper space um and you know that the original thing that uh, was quite attractive to me when when coming across Silverfin is that the um the approach to um you know the approach to work is very much a, a sort of a, a technology and data centric um um way where if we can if we can standardize and make the data that accountants are dealing with um all the time uh really useful uh make it really smooth and easy and and you know efficient where possible it's that sort of programmatic and and um technology enabled approach to to work which means that the you know those that are doing the work can can focus a lot more on on areas where they can add real value and and you know exercise their professional muscle as opposed to you know copy pasting download upload import export you know try and fix an excel sheet that doesn't work and you know things like that which are um you know um, potentially not the best use of people's time so yeah i guess a renewed focus from the business to target the upper end of the accounting firm market. I think that's fair 
to say. And yeah, what do you see the key challenges for accountants and accounting firms in that part of the market? Yeah, it's interesting because I think they have uh, a lot of regular business challenges, just like any firm. Uh, you know, they're they're big and growing in a in a space with a lot of uh, a lot of demand and a lot of uh, you know changing demand. I guess like you know modernizing demand from their customers and you know being able to find time to um, you know stop and improve the tools and processes, sharpen the saw. Um, you know th- those sorts of things in their day to day while you know, dealing with deadlines and, um, and you know, government mandated changes, although those are pretty slow burn, to be fair, those sorts of things are, are a big one. So, you know, getting getting the the time to invest in improvement um, in the short term, which pays pays off in huge amounts over the long term is, um, is a big one. There's a lot of other general business challenges around um, cost of doing business, around people retention and delivering an employee experience for their teams that's even just adequate and satisfactory in today's market as opposed to leading. Yeah, I'm right in thinking that the part that you're trying to play in that is around sufficiency in terms of, we mentioned work papers. I think probably the challenge that Sullivan has had as a product in the past is you've got some good technology, you've got some good features as well, because you've obviously got the insights features, you've got accounts production and corporation tax coming soon as well. But the real focus now on trying to drive efficiency through that work papers process, and then from there you can expand out. Yeah, that's right. And one of the advantages of having of the way that the tool's structured and works is that once once data is included and in within there, it's a really efficient process to perform, you know, day-to-day tasks in terms of in terms of reviewing work and and um doing that, doing those year-end approaches or through to, you know, generating management reporting packs or or what um, you know, sort of more premium services that that um, accounting firms are providing to their clients. But um once, you know, once the data is structured and and put into a system in a way that works it's really easy to then leverage that in um in the other areas where the data needs to get used whether that's accounts production corporation tax whether it's comparing it from an accounting firm perspective across clients whether it's uh, you know generating reporting you know whatever that might be in the and the data's always in the one central place that then you know that then can be leveraged off so that you know that that's the real advantage of it and in terms of generating the efficiency of of um of how the work's being done you know that that comes as a as a natural result of all of that as well as you know de-risking uh, a lot of the elements from everyone's perspective getting things right making sure there's no errors um you know reviewing a work, work in, a, in a way that's a, an efficient which by virtue of that makes it really effective you know like you can you can see what you need to see from a review perspective and um and get those things out the door so and what are the challenges for you as a business in terms of selling efficiency into a work papers process is probably reasonably easy i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say it's that easy because sales is never easy right but that should be a relatively easy sell but how do you then upsell something like insights what else do silver thin need to do to help practices adopt a product like that where effectively you're trying to build a new advisory process around the insights you can leverage yeah that's right I think some of the difficulty comes in about different ways that different firms and partners and and key key people want to want to go about this I mean everybody's ideas around advisory um you know can can differ a, a reasonable way so for us it's about um taking taking those on and, and providing the tools that are broad enough that they can that they can work across those scenarios I think 
the insights that you know that can be gleaned um and and then utilized once some you know some really good examples of that are seen within a firm it you know it, it uh, generates a bit of a flywheel of use um, in, in quite a strong way. So I think that, you know, the challenge uh, for us initially is, to, you know, is just to demonstrate that. And, um, you know, it's it's easy enough to see if you if you can take the time and and work through it. Um, and then once once that becomes visible, it, you know, it then gets shared. And I suppose, you know, with a, with a lot of uh, our customers, you know, firms work across multiple offices and multiple regions, you know, different partners are responsible for different areas, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, one firm's not just, you know, not just one piece of a puzzle, I suppose. Um, and so making sure that we're, you know, talking to all the right people and and helping all the, um, all of those that are involved um, see and understand the benefit. And, you know, we, we actually find a lot of the times you know, we'll end up with some advocates within a firm that, that are essentially selling it for us, which is the ideal scenario from my perspective, right? Um, you know, if partners, uh, you know, see the value and, and um, work in a certain way and, and you know, realize the benefits, uh, you know, that they're um, generally very keen to tell all, the, all their other partners and, and other offices across the, across the firms and also across their networks, which is great. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's what we love. That's what we aim for. Excellent. And again, we're talking about the market that you're targeting, that larger firm market generally. A lot of those firms will be fairly heavily invested in suites like CCH, Digita, Iris, whatever. How do you make sure that Silverfin's got a good product market fit there in terms of it's unlikely to begin with, at least, that you're going to convince a firm to drop a wider practice-wide suite? So how do you make sure that Silverfin fits neatly into that business and are other things that you can do in terms of wider integration at some point in the future? Yeah, I, I think it starts with us being clear about what we do and what we don't do. We don't shy away from the fact that there's certain areas, uh, you know, that are covered or at least attempted to be covered by those broader solutions that we take care of some areas and we, we don't take care of others. So we are definitely not a, you know, a replacement for CCH or something like that. It just, it's it's definitely not what we're, what we're about. We're rather, a, um, you know, a really high quality uh, tool for um, for a solution of, of an area of a practice, and um, you know that definitely brings around challenges where you know, like you say, bigger bigger firms have invested in one solution to cover everything. Um, you can't see the the air quotes, I guess, on the podcast, right? But um, uh, you know that that sort of approach of you know you have one organisation that covers every single thing has been tried, and you know occasionally has succeeded right but i think often often yields a lot of frustration and you know in this in this modern era where there's um where there's clear and obvious benefits for uh you know saas type solutions that are cloud based and um you know pr providing the um all the abilities and advantages that that brings coupled with a, a modern approach to connectivity and open apis and and connecting between things i think with organizations spreading their wings and and showing um you know where they fit and and operating in their business they they end up with uh, there's always gaps that aren't filled by the one solution that does everything, right? And so they've always been supplementing that for um, forever. And you know, it's just about, um, I suppose, mo moving from a, from that approach where you know we we have a tool that does this area of the business and it does it um, in the absolute best way possible, and, and it provides way more value, but it doesn't do everything. And for that, we connect to other things. So 
yeah, that's probably our thinking on that. And it's not really for us to convince the merits of a best in breed solution compared to a one size fits all. But the best in breed approach is certainly one that that we've found works. We use it in our business as well. I'm sure, um, you know, in your business as well, John, you're 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 not using just one supplier for you know for all of your software tooling um, across the board, right? And so, because because of the nature of it, and it just depends where the borders happen to be, right? Some of the solutions are bigger and some of them are, are a little bit more point solutions that are that are higher quality for the areas they're focused on. Yeah, cool. And uh, you mentioned before we started recording that you guys are sponsoring the Flinder ski trip and you're going to the pre-trip party tomorrow night, but not managing to get out of the slopes, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, we um, we didn't quite have the uh, um, the ability to to actually join the trip, which is unfortunate because I think it's you know it, it sounds like an amazing time and one personally that I, that I would have relished. But um, yeah, uh, not this time around. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for that, Cam. That was really great and always great catching up with you, mate. And thanks for your time. And uh, wish you luck in the new role because it's going to be exciting times over the next few months, I guess. Yeah, thanks very much for that. Appreciate it. And um I look forward to um, you know, personally seeing the, you know, the the ski trip from from photos and and um hopefully not too many videos of um of you with your head in the snow. But um uh yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure there'll be some really good stories to tell off the back of it. So yeah, I look forward to catching up afterwards and and hearing how it all goes. Side note, can I make mention of this on the pod? Quite annoyed about this. This is the year that we should be protecting our data because it's being used a little bit too frequently. I got a call today from Auto Entry telling me that they had met me recently at one of the events and whether I was interested in their software. Really lovely lady, that wasn't the problem. The problem is, I was like, where did you get my number from? She was like, oh, at a recent event, I've never spoken to you. Which event? And she said, oh, actually, no, looking, it's from 2021. It must have been at a live event. And I was like, I didn't go to that event. I was in Spain. I didn't go. Um, oh, it must have been an online thing that you signed up for. No, I've never signed up for an auto entry. Anyone that goes to the shows, their data is shared with all the, the apps, as far as I can tell. Because I get just by people that apps that I know I didn't go up to because I looked on the list and went, no, I'm not talking to them. And then they contact me later and say, oh, yeah, we met up at the show. And I'm like, no. How is that legal in this day and age? It's a bit mischievous when someone calls you up and says, oh, yeah, we spoke, we met. Oh, I know. They shouldn't be doing that. No, we didn't. They should not be doing that. Well, they were ringing me in the summer and I did what I do with most people, which is ghost them. (laughs) Oh, John. You do the same to mine all the time, don't you? Yeah. He just doesn't understand my emoji reactions in the chat. That's the problem. It's too old school. He actually needs a written sentence. Was there emoji reactions? There are no no emoji reactions. None. Unbelievable. So that wraps up our first episode of 2023. I hope you enjoyed this slightly new format and we will keep plugging away with new episodes coming soon over the next few weeks. And like I say, we're going to get some exciting guests on in the future. Look out for us on all the usual platforms and on LinkedIn, etc. And if you've got any feedback, please do let us know because we're always interested in what you like and what you don't like and anything else we should be covering. Thanks. That's it for now.